Could you imagine in the twinkling of an eye that we all come face to face with our God who loves us so much, and we all together, we see hordes of people just praising and worshiping God. What a glorious and magnificent day that's going to be. Like what we just experienced here just magnified. Speaking of large crowds glorifying God, Jesus found himself also at Jerusalem with a large crowd. It was Passover. Passover means that God remembered the Israelites and he told them to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost around the door and that God would pass over them. Not knowing that the lamb of God was there and preparing the holy week leading up to the crucifixion of, of Christ, the blood of the lamb. It would not need to be any more sacrifices with the thousands of lambs that are all around the temple in Jerusalem preparing for the sacrifice to know that the ultimate sacrifice is right outside of the door, the Lamb of God. And His blood, God passes over our sins. That day when Jesus, I'm going to read this to you, the triumphant entry or Palm Sunday as we call it today. I'm going to read you these verses, and we have a little surprise for you. John chapter 12, verse 12, it says, The next day, Passover, the large crowd had come to the feast and heard about Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. Not just save us, but save us today, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written and prophesied in Zechariah 9.9. For not, fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationalism. They, they saw Jesus as the, the coming Messiah, the king, who would take care of all the Roman occupation, that would turn back the nation over to Israel. But they didn't really realize who the true Messiah and his true purpose was. The hope that they had that was right in front of them. So I've titled this sermon, More Than Hope. More Than Hope. The hope that you have isn't just for you. There was a guy, his name was Fred. Fred always wanted to be a lumberjack his whole entire life. It's all he ever dreamed about. It's all he ever talked about. He had the lumberjack magazines that he would get at Walmart in the aisle, and he read about it, he learned about it, he did everything that he could to learn about being a lumberjack. Problem was that he lived in the desert, and there were no trees, so he had to move out to the northwest. He saved up all of his money to buy a new chainsaw and all the Carhartt gear you could find, and he went out to the northwest to become a lumberjack. And that morning, 
he called around and he finally found someone that would say, yeah, come on in for an interview. And he got a hold of the logging company boss. Absolutely, we need some help. So he filed down his chain and he got it real sharp and looked the part and had his Carhartt gear on and he shows up for his interview. And as soon as he walks in, the boss says, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize you were five foot tall and maybe 100 pounds soaking wet. Like, I don't know that this is cut out for you. I, you're probably not going to find a job anywhere up here at all. And as Fred was turning his head in disappointment, the boss said, well, hold up a second. He said, do you have any experience? He, oh, yeah, I've got tons of experience. He said, well, what, where's your experience? He said, well, I used to work in the Sahara Forest. Sahara Forest? That's just a desert. I've never heard of a forest. And he goes, well, it's a desert now, but it wasn't when I first started. <laughs> you see, Fred, he was ready. And, and he had an answer. And, and I wonder with you and I, if we are prepared with an answer. That, that we come together and we worship and we read about Palm Sunday. And we begin to set our minds upon the Holy Week leading up to the resurrection. The most important historical event to ever happen, to ever happen on planet Earth as we prepare for that on Sunday. I wonder if we are ready for an answer like Fred. I'm going to try something a little bit different. I know you came prepared to just hear me talk and preach and teach the whole time, but I want to get you involved a little bit. As Bob mentioned training, I was at his training this week, and we were talking about the different ways that we learn. And one of the ways we can learn is a scenario, and Bob just kind of threw out this. I wonder if we could develop a scenario into a sermon sometime and got my mind to thinking. And so in a little bit, I'm going to put forth a, a scenario on, on the screen for you to think about. But first, I want you to think about a scenario with our children, our teens. It could even apply to our coworkers, our friends, our family, who is saying, I know about Easter, and maybe I put my faith and trust in Jesus, but how does this apply to my life today? Like, how does it give me hope today? Where we have a world, we have chat GPT. I don't know if you guys have teenagers or, or children, but the things that they are thinking about, processing the, the way that the world is changing quickly. The shooting, school shooting that happened this week, I know it was heavy on my, my kids' hearts. The cultural things that we see all the time in the news. The wars and, and rumors of wars, the stress, the anxiety, the depression that we see that's rampant within our children. And it's not just our kids, it's our neighbor's kids, it's our neighbors, it's our friends. And there's 14,000 people within our context of the Orchard Farm School District area. And you don't see 14,000 people here asking these questions about how does the church answer the questions about, that I have today specifically. 
Yes, we teach them about the triumphant entry and Palm Sunday and all these things, but how does that apply to my life as, my, as our children are asking those things? Something that happened 2,000 years ago. The old, old story, as the hymn says. I'm going to tell you about the old, old story. How does that apply specifically? How does that give me hope today? Why Easter? Like, why do we go to church just on Easter and Christmas? I call myself a creaster growing up. Like, I made mom and grandma happy if I went to church, right? I dressed up nice. The last thing on earth that I wanted to do, but it made mom and it made grandma happy. I go, I tolerate it. I hear some old dude up there preaching, and it's all over with, right? It's Easter. But how do we as Christians, as followers of Christ, how do we say, well, this is how this applies to my life every single day? And this is how it applies to your life. This is how it helps you. So the question is, what would you say? And what are you saying through the lifestyle that you have and the the joy that you have of following Christ? What are you saying by not saying with those around you? Because it can't stop at you. Hope can't stop at you. In 1 Peter 3, 15, I'm going to read this to you. The Bible says this. But in your hearts, we learned about that last week, right? Blessed are those who are pure in heart. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or to explain or to share to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the Bible commands us to always be ready with a defense, with an answer, with an explanation about why we have the hope that we have within us. And I ask that question, do you know? If someone asks you, somebody sees something differently about you at work, are you ready? Are you prepared to explain the hope that you have within you? Because if you have the hope of Christ within you, You're going to stand out in this world. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I got a couple of questions up here on the screen. I want to explain these before we do it. Now, here's where it's a little bit different than normal. We're going to have a video. It's a 10-minute video. So grab some coffee, down some coffee, stay awake. What I want you to do is I want you to watch this video I hope this really works, because I can cut off 10 minutes of sermon prep. No, I'm just kidding. Keep doing it. I'm just kidding. What I want you to do is watch the video, and what I want you to do is to be able to answer this question. I don't want anyone like have to call out or speak or anything like that. So I'm gonna, when the video comes on, my cell phone number will be on the video. So what I want you to do is to text me. It doesn't have to be like a thesis, just like a word or a couple of words. Text me and answer this question, and you probably won't find out toward maybe the last third of the video. Answer this question. Where does this lady's hope come from? Like she eventually, this is going to be her testimony, but she eventually finds hope and joy and all these things. Where does that come from in her life? So where does, she, where does her hope come from? And then secondly, how does she share or defend her hope. Now, you don't have to text me. You can write it down, share it with somebody else. But what I'd like to do is be able to share a couple. I won't say who it is, of course. 
Uh, but I'd like to share a couple of insights that you have and how it relates to your life, okay? Make sense? So, again, where does her hope come from, and how does she share her hope? All right, you ready? Let's go. My name is Lisette Nieves. I'm Cuban. I live in Mexico now. Me, my husband, and three kids. And I'm a passionate about Jesus. I was born in 1986 in Cuba. I was born in a family where my parents just had a divorce three months before I was born. Since I was little, I was like, okay, I can do this by myself. I need all the time to prove to everyone that I have control, I can do this. I don't have a God in my life. I don't need a God in my life. I want to be a strong person and never need to ask help to anyone. So I was married uh, for five years, but when Isabella was about one year old, I divorced. For me, it was like, okay, I don't need you anymore. I don't love you anymore. We are having so much arguments and let's quit. From the beginning, I felt all the time that I have this uh, incomplete sensation inside of me. It was like something's missing. A couple years later, I went to Olguin, the city that I was born to visit my mom, and I was talking to a friend, and she was telling me, you know what, Liz, I'm really uh, sad because my marriage is so broken right now, and I'm, I'm praying every night to God that he help me. I said, you know what? Where are you two? And there is not God. Stop praying to a God. There is not going to solve anything for you. For me, I think at that point of my life, God said, Okay, girl, I'm coming in. After I have my conversation with my friend, I met Ernesto. The only issue about him was that he was a Jesus follower, a Christian. I'm sure I can cure this disease. He came to Cuba for uh, holidays on Christmas and he brought a Bible with him as a present. Thanks and put it away. And it was really hard because I was from another country. I have family. I have my baby. So we broke up at that point. That day when he left me at home, I didn't know how much in love I was until uh, we broke up. I find myself at that point very, very angry. I was so confused. What just happened? Everything was going so good. I have control of this. And I find myself asking to someone that wasn't there. I was alone. And at some point, I decided to grab that Bible that he gave me. I take out the present, the Bible, and I open for the first time. I have never had a Bible in my life. I have never stepped a church in my life. I have never talked about God. And I, I decided to open it. I decided to open the book. And the first verse that I, I have ever read of the Bible, God was telling me, if you repent, I will restore you. If you repent, I will restore you. For me, it was like, you're actually talking to me, you're there, you're six, and you're telling me that I have to repent. And if I do that, you will restore my life. I came to my knees. I, 
My heart was broken and I was like, I'm yours. At that point, I decided to trust in something that I cannot control. Something came inside of me, it was like, I'm yours. My history doesn't matter, I'm yours. An amazing peace came inside of me. I stopped crying, I stopped asking questions. I decided I was gonna live this life. I didn't know how. I have no idea what was happening or what was the next step, but I knew that I don't need to have control anymore. Five days after, Ernesto asked to get together again. He proposed and we got married. And I came to live to Mexico. For me, it was really hard because I have my daughter. Isabella was three years old. And Isabella's father said, you know what? I don't care what you do with your life, but you are not taking my kid to Mexico with you. She was my baby. I slept with her every night in my bed until that point. But I knew that something was moving me into a direction that I knew that was bigger than me. Getting that plane for me, it meant that I was putting everything that I love in an altar and deciding to trust. Getting into Mexico was the first breaking down experience of my life. I'm alone, I don't have my family, I don't have anyone, I, I don't have contacts in my phone, I only have Ernesto. For me it was like, oh my God, what I did. The difference for me was that I, I get into a community. Vida in Monterrey was founded exactly at the same time that, that I arrived from Cuba. And I was part of that beginners of the amazing church that we have. And they just open arms and said, we were waiting for you. And this is your home. Most of my time at that point of those two years, I led this Bible as you can see it now. I was trying to find answers and I was trying to get to know someone that loved me without expectations and I knew Jesus was that person. Those were two rough years for me. I think Ernest and I have a lot of problems on that time because he had expectations and I have pain in my heart. My daughter was in Cuba, I was alone and he was at work all the time and I have no way to fill those expectations and we were just married. So for us it was like, this isn't working. The only thing that kept us together was that God was in the picture. We decided that I was going back to Cuba. Uh, I really miss Isabella a lot. And we were not in a, in a good point of our marriage. I heard Jesus in a very different dimension on those couple of months alone by myself in Cuba. I have the opportunity to show my family, my friends, my society, what happened once to get to know Jesus. By February, uh, Ernesto called me back. He was like, you know what? I have been praying a lot and I need to make this work. We are not gonna give up our marriage. And for me it was like, you know, Lord, I'm here. I'm gonna step in that plane again and I'm gonna do it all over again if I have to as many times as you call me, because it is you calling. It's not Ernesto calling, it is you calling. 
I decide I, I, I was going back to Mexico. The next day, I have my daughter, father at my door. And he said, you know what? You can take Isabella with you to Mexico. For me, it was, what? What are you talking about? Yes, you can take her. I, I feel it this way, you can take her. And for me, it was, wow, Lord, you are amazing because even when you don't need to do it, you choose to make me happy. Oh, God, you're so good and such loving father that takes care of my heart. A couple of years after Isabella was in Mexico, she was in love with Jesus too. And, and she went to Cuba on vacations and had uh, these Bibles, like three of them. Mom, I want many of them. She was six years old. And she went to Cuba and was like, Dad, you have to know Jesus. He was like, what are you talking about? Yes, you need to do this. Today, Jose, he's a Jesus follower and he knew Jesus through Isabella and that Bible. On that first verse that I, I read those years ago, if you continue to read him, he was talking to me about a plan for my life. If you learn how to find all the beauty in the dark things, you're going to be my mouth. And for me, it was the beginning of a journey of discovering how he created me, all the gifts that he gave me, all the experiences that he allowed me to have. And I was like, I'm gonna be his mouth in this world. I started my first women's group, and we started at the same time our uh, first couples group with Ernesto, and I have the privilege of lead a program called Starting Point in our church. We have been seeing so many lives change in eight weeks. That's amazing, because people does not have a problem with God. They have a problem with church and religion. And just, they just want to be known and loved, and that's what God's have for them. It doesn't matter how many persons come and ask me, you can prove Jesus exists, you can prove Jesus resurrected from the dead. And I say, you know what? What I can prove is that I was dead. And I'm a new person now. I have a new life. I was resurrected. I pray that you see in her life the hope that she has and how she was then sharing that hope with others. Because it's important, as we just read in First Peter, to say we have to always be ready for a defense. We always have to be ready to share the hope that we have with others. Because others are saying, well, I don't find that in church. I'm not finding that in religion. I don't know. But God is saying you, not the pastor, not, not anyone else, not the elder or anyone else, is saying you, that the Bible is written for you, is saying you always have to be ready to share the hope that you have in gentleness and kindness and respect. We have to be ready. We, we have to be living that every day to be able to express it and show it to others. John 12, continue in those verses that we just read earlier, 16 through 19, his disciples, Jesus, did not understand these things at first. This why is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? Like, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. He's drawing a lot of attention to himself. 
did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. So after, verse 17, the crowds had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continuing to be to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done these signs. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The disciples, the crowd, they were confused about Jesus. They wanted the prophet, the one that, who was going around and healing those that were blind. He, they wanted the prophet who raised Lazarus from the dead. That's who they wanted. That's who they had heard about. They also wanted the Messiah of who they thought the Messiah was going to be was a political figure, a new king who would be coming in with armies to overthrow the Roman government. And here this guy Jesus is riding in on a donkey, a symbol of peace. They were confused. They didn't know who this guy was, what is going on. We don't understand. And isn't that the way with life is that sometimes God has other plans for us? He ultimately knows what's best for us. It may not make total sense. I'm sure this lady, when she was going back to Mexico from Cuba, didn't make sense on what was going on. But God had a plan. He used that. Because life can be that way. I want God to do this. Or I want him to be this for my life. I have this going on. He isn't doing it. And I'm sure that those around you at your work, around your neighbors are asking the same question. Like, why isn't he doing it? Doesn't he care? Does he really exist? Maybe God is only to put my faith in Jesus and then I go to heaven and everything else in between really doesn't apply. I don't know how to do that. Maybe that's all that it means. Yes, heaven, I want to, we all want to go there. But that in-between spot, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, God isn't who I thought he would be or is not doing what I want him to be. And maybe we can put ourselves in the position of the crowds and the disciples as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's like, I, this isn't what I expected. But if God had sent his only son from the throne of heaven, lowly Jesus in a manger, to live a life where he was despised and spit on and beaten and misunderstood and ridiculed and mocked and didn't have anywhere to lay his head at night, to live that life and to go to the cross to be crucified for our sins do you not think that God has a purpose for us? Do you not think that, that it's not just eternal life, that it's today, like God has, wants us to have hope and to understand what this means, these passages in this week, what it means for us, not just for eternity, but also for today. You see, people can see so many problems. I mean, if you turn on the news, right? Like, there's so many problems, it seems, that are stacking up on top of each other, and there never seems to be a solution. 
All the things that I mentioned earlier that our kids struggle with, that we struggle with, that we see in this world. It's like things are speeding up, at least in my mind. Maybe I'm getting old. I'm just starting to worry about more things. I don't know. But things are just like speeding up quicker and quicker and quicker, and there never seems to be a solution a resolve to anything. And it gives us anxiety. It's like we need to know that there is some type of solution for these things. And I want to encourage you today is that we have the solution. And I know it sounds like a Sunday school answer, but, but Christ, Christ is the solution. He is the solution to brokenness and to our, to our sins. And, and we have that hope within us. It would, it would be as if I had worked for a company for five years and I, I show up for the, family, or for the corporate picnic and I get out of the car and there's Amanda and they're like, I didn't know you were married. You never mentioned anything about your wife or anything. I mean, what message is that telling the people that I work with about my wife? He never said anything. He didn't have a picture in his office. He, he didn't do anything. I mean, that, that's like you and I. Like, we never mention Christ. We're not joyful. We don't have any hope for those around us. And then all of a sudden you realize this person's a Christian. Like, well, I didn't know. I didn't know that they were a Christian. And if we're not joyful enough that people at least know, like, we don't have to cram religion down their throat, but at least if they don't know, there's something that we need to bring to the Lord to say, Lord, why am I not joyful and why am I not sharing? And the answer that we have, the hope that we have, is not in government. It's not in sinful people, as we are sinful and everyone is sinful. Our hope that we have is in Christ alone. He is coming back, and he's going to make everything right. He didn't say, hey, you make everything right, then I'll come back. He says, no, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make everything right. The answer and the hope that we have, the defense that we have, the answers that we give people is so important. Because people are looking for that. They're searching for that, and we have it. John 14, 6, it's our verse here at True Life Community Church. As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, to heaven, but I'm also the life, the here and now, finding our true life in Christ. True Life Community Church, it's all in the name and what we do. Your coworker may ask you, like, hey, what did you do this weekend? You say, well, I did this or did this, but I also had a great church service. We're praying, we're getting geared up for Easter service, and I'm so excited about the hope that I have in, in Christ Jesus, and hey, what about, what about you? I mean, is that your response, or it's just like, eh, I'm just going to skip over all these things, like, I don't really want to be persecuted, I don't want to feel like I'm cramming religion down somebody's throats, but if we're hopeful and we're joyful, it should just come out, just to be like, Coming out of our pores and who we are, of who Christ is in our life and what it means. Should be excited. To, we should be the salt and the light of the earth for those that are struggling, who are depressed, who have anxiety, who don't know the future. I mean, to talk about the invitations out here on the table. And again, I'm not asking to be like Jehovah Witnesses or anything like that. It's just... Hey, take these to the people that you know, that you love, your neighbors, your friends. It doesn't have to be like a dope deal going down, like, hey, here, I got this invitation. It's not 
That's not what's this candy that's in there, right? It's, you don't have to be that way. It's just like, hey, here, I love my church. I love Jesus. I'd love for you to come. That's it. It's simple. Because you know what? People, I was just talking to somebody about this. People will just not just come up to you and be like, hey, tell me about, you. Tell me about Jesus. You know, I call it the, I call it the Christian, or the, I call it the mingle, like the guy, you know, person comes up to you and they're just small talking. You don't know exactly what. They're really wanting to know. They're really wanting to know what you have that they don't have. They're not going to just come out and ask you. You have to bring it up yourself. And again, you can do that in just a loving way. Like, hey, I went to church this Sunday. Have you ever been to church? Like, what do you think? Starts the conversation right there. Because people really are hungry. They really are hungry. So John 12. I'm going to wrap it up here because we still have communion to do. But what I want you to do is I want you to listen to what Jesus says after the triumphant entry. This is written in red. This is Jesus. All, all word of, in the Bible is God-inspired. But I want you, to read, want you to listen to this. Later down... After the triumphant entry, it says some Greeks sought Jesus, and it says the Son of Man must be lifted up. So this is Jesus right after that. He says, now my soul, now is my soul troubled. And we know Jesus cried out to his Father, if there's any other way. We know that he was in such agony over this that he sweat blood about this, this holy week, as we call it, but Christ, he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's, Christ says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Say, so what, should I ask God to not send me to the cross? No, because God has a purpose for my life. I know what it is. I know what must be done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be whipped. I'm going to put the crowns on. I'm going to be nailed to the cross, and I'm going to die. I'm going to take on the sins of the world, and I'm going to die for those that I love. God also has a purpose for you. It says, I have, Jesus says, I have a purpose. God tells you, you have a purpose in this world. It's to, to be the ambassador, to share the hope and the love and the joy that you have because of Christ as living within you, the personal relationship that you have where you can enjoy God every single day and to know that he has a very specific purpose for your life that brings you joy. It won't be easy but it will bring you joy, joy beyond any belief that you have to follow him and to serve him. Yes, to be an ambassador, but he has something specific for you, and that's for you to discover. So we say finding our true life in Christ, that God has that purpose for you. And if anyone asks, like, I don't understand how God applies to my life today, they should see it in you. But number two, it's, you can say it's, it's not a religion. It's a personal relationship with someone who loves your soul. The God of the universe who sent his son to die for you so you can have a relationship with God. And it's a personal relationship. 
And those that don't have a personal relationship that are living in darkness can cry out, Hosanna, save me. Jesus, save me. I want a personal relationship with you. And those that are living in the light can cry out, Hosanna, save me as well as a worship. They were worshiping Jesus as he came in. We worship him. The hope that you have. So I'm going to pray in a minute. We're going to take the Lord's uh, Supper. I would just ask, during this time of reflection, before we come up and take the elements, before you take the elements, one, we're going to ask God if there's any sin in our lives that we need to bring to him. If you're yet a believer, I would ask that you would not come and take of, of this until you get that right with God. And number two, what I'd like for you to do is to ask God, like, how do I have hope? Do I have hope in my life? Do I have joy? And if I don't, Lord, why? Would you help me with that? And if you do have hope and joy, how, Lord, do you, do you want me to share that with others? How am I supposed to do that? And I would love for you to text that to me, what God puts on your heart. I would love to pray for you and encourage you in that. I'm not going to call you or track you down, but I would simply just pray for those things for you. Or if you don't feel comfortable, let me know. Tell somebody, tell somebody else what God is asking you or put on, put on your heart in relation to this. If you tell somebody else, you're more apt to do it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Father, Lord, I pray that you are preparing our hearts for this holy week that you are giving us a defense, an answer in our hearts for those that are searching for answers. Lord, I pray you would give us great hope that Christ's triumphant entry, Good Friday, Easter, all the things in between, Lord, we would be able to explain like how those things relate to my life today. We would be able to explain how a relationship and following Jesus, how it impacts my life in a very positive way today, not just for eternity. Lord, put that in our minds. Set that in our hearts. Lord, let our joyfulness and our hope be contagious to those around us, and they want to come and ask us, what do you have that I don't have? Lord, I pray that those that don't have a personal relationship with you because of your son Jesus, I pray that, Lord, that they are asking for forgiveness of their sins, that the blood of Christ would cause you to pass over their sins, that they would be made right with you, righteous, righteous. They would not be afraid of persecution because as we were learning in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. 
And our righteousness only comes through Christ, your son. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Let us not be afraid. Let us be joyful. Thank you for the blood. Thank you that Jesus rode in on a donkey and not in a chariot. Because conquering Rome wouldn't have anything to do with us today. But going in peace and going to the cross. Lord, sets our eternity. Sets us free from our sins. Gives us purpose and hope today. Lord, I pray as we are going to be taking of the elements, I pray you prepare our hearts for that. We would focus on you just for a few more minutes. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to read. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, I'll read that after we take the, the communion. So if you guys want to form two lines, one on the left, one on the right, just go ahead and come up and get the elements. We're going to take just a few moments, just a time of reflection, and then we'll take the elements together.